0: about the importance of Genesis 3.15, but before we get into that, first of all, let me just say that Christmas is really a celebration of the, one of the three most important events ever to occur in the realm of human experience in history. Number one, the very fact that we're celebrating tonight, the incarnation of Jesus, the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, that gives birth to the crucifixion of Jesus, the second most important, and then the third one, the resurrection. So all three of these are very, very important in, of course, the Christian's life. And so tonight we're celebrating the incarnation of Jesus. And once again, it's not just about Christmas trees and lights and gifts and all that. It's about a sacrifice that Jesus made to leave the grandeur of the glory world behind, to robe himself in flesh and walk here on this earth with us and live on this earth with us. And then go to a cross and suffer and die for us so that we could be saved. And so that's what it's all about. But... With the exception of John 3, 16, which you know that verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is a very crucial scripture in all the Bible. Sometimes it's overlooked at a time like this, but it's important, I believe, tonight to bring it out for us so we can see some things that were prophesied from the very beginning that we're celebrating here tonight. And so... John 3.16 reveals to us the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of God's love. Those are four dimensions of God's love toward mankind. The breadth of God's love is seen in God so loved the world. It's the breadth of God's love, the whole world. Globally, God loves everyone. That he gave his only begotten son is the incarnation that he sent him from above to come to the earth. That shows the length of God's love. To what length he would go? To what length would you go to show your love for someone? And he went to that length that he would leave the grandeur of the glory world behind and come to this earth as a man. And thirdly, that whosoever believes in him would not perish shows us the depth of God's love. To what depth would he go? He would suffer the death of the cross for us. That's the depth of God's love. But then the height of God's love is seen in the fact that he was resurrected. And when he was, so were we raised up together with him to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That shows us the height of God's love. So we have these dimensions of God's love revealed to us in John three sixteen, But in Genesis 3, verse 15, we have a revelation of what it would take for us to be reconciled back to God. He made provision for us through Christ to get back to him in reconciliation and fellowship. But of course, it was was something that man couldn't do for himself. And so God did it for us. And we want to talk about that tonight. So we're going to look at that verse of scripture and point out four things that are important about that verse of scripture in the very beginning. Number one, it creates an expectation of a redeemer who would be the seed of Adam and Eve. At the very beginning, after man sinned against God in his rebellion, God, of course, spoke some curses upon the individuals that were involved. But then he says, here, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a seed of the woman that's going to do something about paving the way back to God. Well, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, guess what? Eve thinks it's going to be Cain. Now remember, she just heard this. Look at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So if you're in her shoes... You're thinking that, okay, here it is, the seed of the woman. I'm the woman, the seed of the woman. Here's my son. He's going to be the one to pave the way back to God. But all of a sudden, what does he do? He kills his brother, Abel. And soon enough, she finds out, hmm, this was not the right one. He's not the one he was speaking of. Then we go to Genesis chapter 12, and this is a fast forward of uh, time. And this is what took place. God raises up a man by the name of Abraham. And he continues to pave the way for us back to himself, but in a different way. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. Notice thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. He takes a man by the name of Abraham. He's going to create a nation out of Abraham. And this seed is going to come now through the nation. What nation? Israel. Look at verse 7. It's the nation of Israel. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed, notice the seed, Will I give this land? And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So now we see it's the seed of the woman. And it's going to come to the nation of Israel. And they're going to have a way back to God in the process. But not yet. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verses 31 and 32. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Notice the theme of being great. He's going to make Abraham's name great. He's going to make the nation great. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Now, once again, we see Gabriel announcing to Mary that his son is going to be great. That was spoken in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. But look at also in Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 9. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest. And have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. And have made thee a great name. Like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Of course this is all referring to one person. And what's his name? Jesus. His name will be great. He will be great. He will save his people from their sins. So the first part of Genesis chapter that we just saw here. Chapter uh, 12 and verse 2. Through the nation of Israel, God is going to bring someone great and manifest someone great in the earth who is going to redeem mankind from his fallen state. Number two, in Genesis 3.15, we see this. He's establishing conditions of operation by which he is going to perform this miracle. How is he going to redeem his people from their sin? We find out through the shedding of blood. It's going to happen because God himself is going to provide himself a sacrifice, a lamb sacrificed, So he could pave the way through blood back to himself. Notice in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. What we see here stated is this. Unto Adam also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. They had to kill the animals, sacrifice the innocent animals for the shedding of blood. Why? To be reconciled back to God or to cover them because of their sin. And then we see also further in Genesis chapter 4. This is a Cain and Abel story once again. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings, firstlings of his flock and of the fat. And in the process, therefore, and the Lord had respect to Abel and his offering, but to Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Why? Because he didn't bring a blood sacrifice. And so we see from the very beginning that God reveals to us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so therefore, someone had to come. The Redeemer he's talking about in the first part of the verse is going to come to the earth as the seed of the woman. And when he comes to the earth, he's going to have to present a certain kind of blood, a perfect blood to redeem man from his fallen state. In Hebrews 9 verse 22, we see this scripture that tells us, and almost all things by law are purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so now we see this Redeemer Is going to provide his blood for the remission of sin. Why? To reconcile man back to God. The third thing we see is it establishes an explanation for the disorder we experience in this world. The upheavals that we encounter in this world. We go back to Genesis chapter 3 and what do we see? Satan coming along, and what's he doing? Deceiving Eve, speaking to her mind to get her to look at something other than what God had already given her. In other words, what you have is perfect. The environment that you're in is perfect. All that you have is wonderful, but he suggests to her through deception that there's something bigger, something better, something greater that you can have if you just eat the fruit of that tree. And so she lifts up her eyes, and she looks at that and says, yes, there's something better that's out there for me, and I want that for me, and I want my husband to come and join me, and what do they do? They rebel against God by doing what he told them not to do, and opened up the door to all kinds of upheaval in the earth, in every realm of human experience. So all the chaos, all the disorder comes because of the enemy, the serpent, who grows from a snake in the garden to the great red dragon of Revelation, chapter 12. What is that showing us? The darkness is getting darker and darker and darker. As the light gets lighter. But look in Revelation chapter 12 verses 3 and also uh, verse 9. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And then the next verse. Verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So now we see we've got all kinds of conflict taking place in the earth. All kinds of upheaval, deception, lies, and murders, etc., etc., etc. Have you looked around or listened to the news lately? There's nothing but chaos in the world that we live in today. All kinds of craziness that's going on in the world today. Can you say amen to that? We know that's happening. John 8:44. what did Jesus say? Satan was the originator of the lie. You are all your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaks of his own. Why? Because he's the author of it. He's the originator of it. He's the one that brought it forth. And so, we see number three. Now we know why all the upheaval in this world takes place. Now we know why there's all kinds of murders taking place and atrocities taking place in the world, acts of terrorism taking place in the world because people are listening for the wrong spirit. Next, fourth, it establishes the principle by which the kingdom of God will overcome and overpower the kingdom of darkness. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The serpent was going to bruise the heel of the seed. But the seed Is going to crush the head of the serpent. And what that means is this. There's going to be persecution along the way. There's going to be challenges along the way. There's going to be difficulties along the way. There's going to be mountains to climb. Wildernesses to go through along the way. Even Christ himself when he was on the earth was persecuted. And many times they tried to kill him to take his life. Yep. That's exactly what he did. He bruised his heel. But praise God, when he died on Calvary's cross and was raised from the dead, he crushed the very head of the serpent and made it possible, praise God, for us to have victory over death, over hell, and over the grave. But it all began with an incarnation. It all began with God leaving the glory world behind with all of its grandeur and coming to the earth in the form of a human being. As Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear, that he robed himself in flesh and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, this is what Jesus did for us. But it all began with the incarnation. Now, notice in our last section time, place, and line. I said that for a reason. Look in this verse of scripture, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, because this is what we're talking about tonight. All three are right there in that verse of scripture time, place, and line, For unto you is born, this day represents time. Imagine, can you imagine the angels, what they did when Christ was born? Shepherds are watching their flocks by night. Just like every other night that they watch their flocks. And this is a flock that they're watching in Bethlehem where they breed lambs for the slaughter. To be slain as sacrificial offerings unto the Lord. And all of a sudden... This appears. Angels appear. Proclaiming that Christ is born. When? At this time. Look in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son made of a woman. The seed of the woman made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoptions of sons. The time had come the day had come like no other day for 4000 years can you imagine that time span and waiting that length of time sometimes we say when's jesus going to come i can't wait for his coming anybody here want to wait can't wait for his coming would you like to wrap this thing up and just go home and be with him in glory anybody here for that oftentimes my son andrew will tell me dad when's he coming he might come tonight. Don't tell me that. We've been saying that for five years and he hasn't come yet. No, when is he coming? What, I said, son, listen, he's coming in his own good time. Because you see, he's the one that sets the time. He establishes the time for his coming because he knows what's best. You don't know and I don't know, but he knows what's best for his coming. And so we talk about the time of his coming, the time of his coming. And finally we decide this. What time will the Browns ever win a championship championship? <laughs> Next year. Don't tell me that. When are they going to have a winning season? Next year. There's always next year. We've been saying that for 10 years. 15 years. When's it going to happen? Their time is coming. Their time is coming. Their time is coming. Their time is coming. And this doesn't come. I pray it doesn't take 4,000 years. But the time had come. 4,000 years since the prophecy went forth. 4,000 years, the seed of the woman is going to bruise or going to crush the head of the serpent. And the time has come. And where was it? In the city of David. Luke two eleven. The city. What's the city of David? Bethlehem is the city of David. And that was where it was going to take place. And the line, the lineage of David. We'll get to that in just a moment. But notice. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, once again, it says the seed of the woman was going to be born and the time had come. Now, look at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, because this is what it was prophesied 700 years before it ever took place. Now, Isaiah was born anywhere from 750 BC to 799 BC. Who knows? Some say around 799 or in between. Regardless, he was 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. And here's what he says. Therefore, the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel or God with us. And then chapter 9 and verse 6, we see the same thing him prophesying. For unto us a child is born, humanity, and a son is given, deity, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so when Jesus was born into the world on that wonderful day, it was already prophesied 700 years prior to that, the time had finally come. And here he is. The angels are making such a do about it that, that the, the shepherds finally go running to Bethlehem to find out where this took place, how this took place, and so on, and pay respects to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then, of course, we have the, the Magi coming to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh as he was born into the world. These are gifts For a king, gold, gift for a king, which represents his kingship here upon the earth. Frankincense is representative of his deity or his anointing upon the earth as a priest. And then, of course, myrrh is symbolic of his death or burial. So they brought him these gifts. Imagine all this pomp and circumstance. Imagine all this taking place in the life of one person. I said Sunday when I was born up in Youngstown, Ohio, all I got was a pacifier, similac, and pampers. Those were the three things that I got. He gets gold, frankincense, and myrrh that should tell us exactly how important he is. All this took place on this one night. Prophecy being fulfilled before their eyes. What are the chances of this child born in Bethlehem would be Christ the Lord? Now imagine this if you're of the Jewish faith. Can you imagine this at all? Read the scriptures and find out what they say. How can you deny the fact when all these prophets of yours prophesied where, at what time, what place, what lineage the Savior would be born. He's the Messiah. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. The place. Look at Luke 2 and verse 4. In the city of David, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. Under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Stop right there. What's the city of David? Bethlehem. Micah chapter 7, look at Micah says chapter 5 and verse 2. What it says, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, thou, thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. It cannot be clearer than that. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, he is from everlasting, he's the ancient of days, he's your Messiah, come in the flesh. Dwelling among men. And then, of course, the last one, the line. Look at the line. Now remember, Micah was born about the same time, lived about the same time as Isaiah did. He's prophesying this 700 years before it happens. And yet it happens exactly the way he said it's going to happen. And then the line is the line of David. Notice the latter part of that verse. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. How important is this? He's of the house and lineage of David because... In the, I know about you, but whenever I began reading the Bible in Matthew and then got to Luke, and in Matthew I saw so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. Did you get bored like I did? Oh my goodness, all the begats and the begottens and all that. And it took me years before I discovered or realized that Matthew's account and Luke's account were different. I thought it's the same people involved, I thought, But then as I grew in my Christian faith and experience, I began to understand some things a whole lot better. I found out that they're completely different. One represents Jesus going back to David through Joseph and through Solomon. And the other one represents Jesus going back to David through Mary through Nathan. So here's the point. David had two sons, Solomon and Nathan. Solomon is of the kingly line, and it was said that the kingly line is going to bring in the Messiah. So Satan is hungry to destroy the kingly line to stop the Messiah from being born into the world. That way he could win over God. So he targets the kingly line. He brings destruction to the kingly line. And under Jeconiah, Jeconiah is the one that got so evil and so wicked and did such tremendous atrocities that finally God judged the kingly line, and said, no longer would anyone from your line sit on the throne of David. Guess what? Satan packed up his bags, took off a cruise to the, to the Bahamas, got himself something to drink, laid out on the beach for a while, and thought, I have succeeded in carrying out my mission and stopping the Messiah from coming into the earth. How many of you know that God is smarter than the devil and that he's wiser than he is? And as 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, that had the devil known the strategy of God, he would never crucify the Lord of glory. You see, here was this. That line of Solomon was a decoy. This line of Nathan was the real deal. Because you see, Mary was of the bloodline of David. Joseph came through the kingly line. And so while the devil is working hard over here to try to stop the entrance of the Messiah into the world... Over here, very subtly, as years go by, God is paving the way for the Son of God to be born through the seed of the woman, not the man. He was not the seed of Joseph. He was the seed of Mary. And the father was not Joseph, but the father was God Almighty. So God is smarter and wiser than the devil. He would have never done it. But you see, these two sons represent David's two sons, Solomon and Nathan, the lineage. So he was born of the lineage of David. So the conclusion is this. Christ was born at the right time. In the right place. The right lineage. And he succeeded in accomplishing the mission that he came to do here upon this earth. We're celebrating not just Christmas trees. Not just lights. Not just it's a wonderful life. Miracle on 34th Street. And celebration of gifts and food and parties and all that. Thank God for all that. That's wonderful. Families getting together and everything. But this is a celebration of one of the most memorable events to ever occur in the realm of human history. God himself. If you can even picture God himself. If we can even begin to imagine God himself. The, the, the world can't contain him. He said, who's going to ha- build a house to f- house me? You can't do it. Who's going to build a temple That I can dwell in. You can't do it. He's the creator of the universe and all things. But in the miracle of the incarnation. This great, vast, mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful God. What does he do? He leaves the glory world. Enters into the womb of a 15-year-old girl. And please listen, pro-lifers since he preexisted as the ancient of days no beginning and no end when he entered that womb when did he begin to live after a heartbeat or did he always exist he always existed always existed jeremiah always existed before he entered in his mother's womb and god said i knew you before your mother's womb life begins even before conception God knows when it occurs. He didn't stop being the son of God for six weeks in his mother's womb. He always existed and he was always alive. He didn't didn't ever cease to exist. So when Mary said, beat unto me according to thy word, he left the glory world. He entered her her womb. He robed himself in flesh. He became a man and he walked on this earth like no man walked. He spoke like no man spoke. He did as no man did. And he demonstrated the power and authority. That Adam had from the very beginning. When he spoke to the wind. The waves and the sea. And he told them what to do. And they obeyed. And he walked on waters to defy the law of gravity. And he multiplied loaves and fishes. To feed people. To overcome the, 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 the law of supply and demand. And then he said to Peter. Go fishing in the sea. By getting a fish and pay your taxes. And the list goes on and on. Even Raising Lazarus from the dead. We're celebrating something of great importance. The seed of the woman has come. Jesus came. You know what? The most important place for him to come is in your heart and mine. To change us from the inside out. In in John chapter 17, we'll close right here. Look at verses 4 and 5. This is so important to all of us. I have glorified thee on the earth... I have finished the work that you gave John to do. Let's back that up for a minute. I think I misquoted something. I have finished the work that you gave Peter to do. I finished the work that you gave Paul to do. I finished the work that you gave John to do. Bartholomew to do. Philip to do. Stephen to do. What work did he finish? The work that he was given to do. That only he could do. Why am I emphasizing that? No matter who we are, God has a work for us to do. And your purpose is found in him and fulfilling the work that he's given all of us to do. And that this is what this is all about. Christ birth in us, causing us to be new creations and masterpieces that he designed by his own design. So that we would live our lives to fulfill a purpose in his will. And when we leave this realm of life, there's only one thing we're going to be judged for. What we did. With the life that he gave us. And fulfilling the purpose that he has for our lives. And you know what? It doesn't matter what it is. What matters is, let's do it. Amen. Let's do it. Let's finish the verse. And now, Father... He said, I finished the work that you gave me to do. Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee. He left it behind before the world was. Look at that. Before the world was, he was clothed in glory. But he set it aside to become a man. The seed of the woman did his job and went back to glory. And says, now, Father, give it back to me. And you know what he did? He had a coronation service. And the Father gave it back to him. And now he'll judge the living and the dead. On the other side. The seed of the woman has come. Praise God. His name is Jesus. Emmanuel. God who is with us. We have a special song to sing at this time.